0: Last week we went to Acts chapter 1 verse 8 We saw the beginning of that verse where Jesus told the disciples uh, To wait for him in Jerusalem And while they would wait there They would receive then the gift of the person In the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit And as we took a look at the first part of that verse I told you last week we're going to come to the second part of the verse And here's the reason why he gave them the power that was necessary To accomplish their assignment The purpose For the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the disciple is this. You ready? Really hard. To witness. That's the purpose. To witness. The primary purpose for Jesus giving and endowing his disciples... With the person and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit Was primarily for the purpose of carrying out their assignment And that was to witness Three years ago When he called them first to follow him And they left everything They came to an understanding that he was in fact the Messiah The promised one who would come and to take away the sin of the world He died and he rose from the dead And now Jesus has been with them for 40 days, and he's about to say goodbye. And in this final address, he reaches to his disciples one last time, and he speaks into them, and he tells them that he wants them to go and wait in Jerusalem. And while they are waiting in Jerusalem, they will receive this incredible gift called the person of the Holy Spirit he will reside presently inside of them he will no longer be alongside of them he will live and dwell inside of them and because of his internal indwelling presence they will then be empowered then to carry out the assignment that he has given them for three years and forty days Jesus has been equipping his disciples to accomplish and Fulfill his mission. Why did Jesus come? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The reason why Christ came, the reason he was sent by the Father, the reason he left all of his glory in heaven and was born of a virgin named Mary to live a 30-year perfect life to die on a cross to then be raised from the dead three days later was for the primary purpose of redeeming a lost humanity that is dead in their sin without chance without hope without any future all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god and the wage of sin is death he says in the book of romans and Jesus came to save us from our sin. And because of that, he assigns his disciples to then continue that assignment, to fulfill that great commission. And he knows That they are not going to be able to fulfill that assignment on their own. And because of that, he gives them then the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit to make that happen. And there are a lot of people who want to make the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit mean a lot of other things other than the primary purpose for why he was endowed to his disciples, indwelt in his disciples, was for the purpose of being a witness to a lost world that desperately needs to know Jesus. For without Jesus... They are doomed and they are damned to an eternity in hell. And Jesus is going to leave their scene here in just a, a few verses. He's not going to leave them without a helper, without someone that's going to enable them and empower them to carry out and to fulfill that assignment, to, to do that mission. And he gives them the, the person, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of being witnesses. In the circle that we live in today and many of the churches today, we've made the Holy Spirit and his manifestation of his presence to mean a lot of other things other than the primary purpose for why he came, and that is to share the good news with a lost world. Because there's no way in the world, with all the hostility of the world that we live in today, can we do it without him. You can't muster off a self, enough self-discipline, uh, enough self-determination, uh, enough self-devotion, enough energy, enough of anything to bring to the equation, to bring to the table, to lay it down, and to fulfill this assignment on your own. And the assignment is to reach a lost world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he does that through witnesses. Who are his witnesses? His disciples. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord today, you are his disciple. You are his follower. And as a disciple, you have been endowed with the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit to be his witness everywhere you go. So I want us to take a look at this text this morning And I want us to sort of examine this, The second part of Acts 1:8. And I want to build a case around that Because as you look at the text Don't go to the next slide yet But as you look at the text Here's how I'm building my case If you notice in the text There is in Acts 1:8 The one word that links the two phrases together The word and The word and is there And in Acts 1.8, we often have a tendency to sort of separate the two as if they are two distinct phrases that give us two very different things. But I'm convinced that because that word and is there, that sort of links the two phrases together. it's, It's a logical connection between the two. And he's saying that to his disciples as he's about to leave, I'm going to give you the Person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit as you wait, and they don't know, but it's going to be 10 days from now in Jerusalem. The person and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to be my witnesses. And then he talks about how they are then to witness. But it's more than just how they are to witness, they are to witness in the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it great to know that in the hostile world that we live in today, the politically correct world that we live in today, It's not easy, is it, to witness about Jesus. But, you know, we shouldn't find that very surprising because in the world that Jesus lived in, it wasn't very easy for him either. I mean, he suffered hostility and anger and persecution and conflict, and people were saying that he wasn't politically correct. He faced demons. And so he knows, as he is sending his disciples out to fulfill this incredible assignment, that they're going to need the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is that, that power that's going to infuse within them that which they need in order to carry out that assignment. How does the Holy Spirit work in helping us accomplish and fulfill our assignment? Because the honesty, if we're honest, if we'd say, you know what, I, I just, sometimes I'm not courageous enough. Sometimes I'm not brave enough. Sometimes I, I, I don't see the opportunities. or, or you know, I, And so we, we allow a whole myriad of things to sort of cloud our perspective and our perception about how we are and who we are as witnesses. And, and the reality is that, that most of us, may I say this, most of us are not witnessing at all. We're silent. We're silent. And if a disciple who is a follower of Christ has been given this person and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit for the primary purpose of being his witness, then why aren't we witnessing? Why aren't we witnessing? So today I hope that we take a look at the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit in a way in which we're not left to do this on our own. We are, we are endowed with a person, the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit, so that as we go out into the world in which we congregate and live with and fellowship with and work with and, and relate to and engage in on a regular basis, no matter how hostile it may be, we can, through the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit, take a stand and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a world that without it is damned and it's doomed to hell. Acts 1a. I want to look at three things. Number one, the Holy Spirit, he enforces my witness. He enforces my witness. Now, what does it mean to enforce Our witness. Notice the verse, and you will be. And you will be. I've already talked about the word and, it's a conjunction. Notice the you, he is addressing his disciples, you who are my disciples, those of us who are disciples are to be his witnesses, those of us who have been endowed, who have been given at conversion, this incredible gift of the person, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, we who are his disciples will be my witnesses we'll be witnesses of christ we will be and almost as if there's no option for us if we are to be his disciples it's not it's not up for vote it's not very democratic or may I add, it's not sometimes very Baptistic because we like to think that we're congregational rule and we get to vote on things. This is an autocratic, dictatorial, dictatorship from God saying that you, once you have placed your faith and trust in Christ and have received this incredible gift in the person, in the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit, you will become my witnesses. The Holy Spirit that dwells within us will transform us, will shape us, will mold us, will make us, into his witnesses you will that is a futuristic tense it is a promise saying that you will you will once you've been endowed with the person the presence of the power of the holy spirit you will be my witnesses you see the person of the spirit makes us witnesses if we have the indwelling holy spirit within us we are witnesses you will be and you will become there's a confirmation here from jesus saying to them you will be my witnesses and the reason i put the word enforce here is because it helps us understand the word enforce means a a force of necessity it is a force of necessity the holy spirit is a force that resides within us that is a force of necessity we, because we have been given the Holy Spirit, are compelled by the Holy Spirit himself to become witnesses. It is the Holy Spirit who fills us. It is the Holy Spirit who leads us. It is the Holy Spirit who speaks and communicates through us in order to share the gospel, because it is only the Holy Spirit that can convict of sin and convert people to the gosp- through the gospel. And the Holy Spirit infuses us. It is a force of necessity. And and when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the first manifestation of a person that is filled with the Holy Spirit isn't jumping some pew, raising some hand, saying some utterance that cannot be interpreted, or doing some other magical or other thing. It is professing, proclaiming, and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and yet we remain silent. Let me build my case. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, it's not all on your screen. We're going to have to look at our Bibles, and if you have an iPhone or something like that, you're in luck because it's a little dark in here, and I hope you see a little bit better. But Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, Now we're going to come to this in a a week or two, not today, so I'm going to sort of I'm going to go over Acts two one through seven very very quickly today, and we'll come back to it. So hang on, and notice Acts chapter two verse one. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. The word Pentecost is simply a word that means fifty days after uh, the Passover. There have been Jesus, you know, he rose from the dead. And it's been 40 days now he's been with his disciples, and they're going to wait 10 days in the upper room for Pentecost to take place. And that's why it's called Pentecost. They were together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. A wind came and filled the entire place. Now, notice it was a mighty rushing wind. It was it's somewhat like, and if you've ever been close to maybe a tornado and the sound of something like that, and things begin to rattle, it was that kind of rushing wind. And in divided tongues, as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now, it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit was fire, but it was, it was indicative or as symbolic or it was of the image of something like that. And he rested on each one of them. Each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak, notice, in tongues. That's where you get charismatic or what I call Bapicostal, okay? They began to speak in tongues. As the Spirit gave them utterance. The Spirit is giving them utterance to do what? To speak in tongues. Now notice, hang on, for some of you who are getting a little nervous... Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from nation under heaven, every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitudes came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. What drew them together? The noise. Now, don't act like you don't know what what these people are doing, because when you see an accident on Kellogg or some other place, what do you do? You slow down. Why do you do that? You want to see what's up, right? Right. What is it about us that curiosity makes us do these kind of things? And this noise, this wind, this movement of the Spirit of God was so, so much ruckus and so much noise that it drew a crowd from those that were around the upper room. And when they gathered together, notice they, they heard them speak, what? In their own language. They heard these people that had been filled with the Holy Spirit speak in their own land this was not language that was common to them but it was common to those that were hearing them speak and there were multiple languages how do you know that notice verse 7 and they were amazed and astonished saying are not all these who were speaking Galileans they're not from our country how do they know my language I'm from Rose Hill Oklahoma Okay, Texas. Verse 8. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? They're hearing the gospel in what? In their own native language. What are they doing? They're filled with the Holy Spirit. What are they doing? They're speaking, preaching, proclaiming the gospel in a language that is not common to them. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and the visitors from Rome. Notice verse 11, it's on the screen if you have a Bible, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. Notice, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. These people have just been endowed. They have just been given for the first time the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they are speaking in tongue in a language that's not common to them. And they are proclaiming the works of God through Jesus. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? Verse 14 on the screen. But Peter, standing with the eleven, notice what he does. He stands with eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. And he preaches this incredible gospel message. The first manifestation of the Spirit of God is what? manifestation a compulsion this this incredible force of necessity that compels them that moves in them to speak to preach to proclaim the gospel of jesus christ they were just filled with the holy spirit acts 419 we're going to come into it in a minute on your screen Peter's having a little bit of difficulty, and notice what he said. Peter and John answered them, "Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge." For we, notice, he says, "For we cannot but speak of what we have seen or heard." He can't help it. He can't stop it. He wants to proclaim it. He wants to declare it. He not only just wants to sing about it. You know what I loved about that song we did, Mark? It, man, it's the gospel in a nutshell. Well, we can do it in here. <laughs> Are we doing it out there? Notice 1 Corinthians nine sixteen. If I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting. Notice, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So... Man, whoa to me. If I don't preach, the, I am compelled. There's this force of necessity because of the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit that just bleh the gospel everywhere I go with everyone I meet. He enforces my witness. Secondly, he enables my witness. And by that I mean he enables, meaning that he gives me the means That I need to point people to Jesus. And maybe at some point this spring we're going to take a look at the Holy Spirit is the only one who can convict of sin. But the Holy Spirit is also the one who points people to Jesus in order to be saved. You cannot do it without the Spirit of God. Working in you, through you, and through the word and the message of the gospel. Notice, and you will be my Witnesses You will be my witnesses You know that word my means It's a personal pronoun of possession It means that we are his And he is ours We are his You are my disciples It means that we no longer belong to ourselves It means that we belong to him And I'm going to jump to a quick conclusion And a quick application here If I am his and all I have and all I hope to have is his, then shouldn't everything I am and all that I have be for the purpose of communicating the gospel? If I'm his, all of me as a disciple... Because there's no such thing as a 98 or even a 99.9% disciple. I'm 100% or I'm no percent at all. And as a 100% disciple, if everything I am and all that I have is his, then should not everything that I have be used for the propagation, for the proclamation, and for the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ? You are my Witnesses, a witness is simply someone who testifies what they know So you put that in a nutshell We are indwelled by the Spirit to reflect Christ with everything we have to proclaim the gospel And not only that, but everything that we have We are then to share the gospel of Jesus as a witness Why? Because we have experienced, we have encountered firsthand as a disciple The power of the gospel and how it can transform and change our lives Al was one of the first people that stood up a while ago You know why he did that? I can tell you why. He was saved as an adult. Right? You know what it means to be lost. He can't help but stand up. Why did he do that? Why would you do that? You want everybody to look at you, Al? Huh? Are you a man that likes attention? No, you're probably embarrassed I even mentioned your name today. I had no idea I was going to do this. But you gave me the... The open door when you stood up. Why did he stand? I'm declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ by standing. I can't sit through this song. I know what it's like to be damned and doomed. But the love and the grace, he reached down in the pit of hell and redeemed me back unto himself through what he did on the cross. And now I just can't help. How do I sit during this? I want to stand. Because standing is what? It is a method. It's, it's a way of, of declaring, of proclaiming, and singing that which has is, is been transformed within us. Jesus said in John chapter 15, notice he said, but when the helper comes, and the helper is simply an assistant. It's, it's an advocate. It is, it is someone who's going he's going to use to speak through to us. But when he, the helper, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, notice he's the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. Notice this. He will bear witness about me. Who does, it, who does the Spirit bear witness to? To Christ. The Spirit of God isn't drawing attention to Himself. And a lot of Charismatic and Pentecostal or other churches today, the attention is drawn on the Spirit. Let me tell you something, the Spirit always directs us toward Jesus. He is the one that the Spirit points to. It's not because he's a second-class citizen, he's a third part of the Trinity. That's his function is to, notice, it is to witness about Jesus, about me, and you also will do what? Will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And if the Spirit of God, let me, let me sort of wrap this up real quick because I don't have a lot of time. If, <laughs> if the Spirit of God, the person, and the presence, and the power working through me, and if the Spirit is directing people to Jesus, pointing people to Jesus, then what should we be doing? He enables us as a witness to point people to Jesus. Turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts 4. Acts 4. Now, Acts 3 is where this is set up. Acts 3, we see where John and Peter are making their way into the temple during the time of, or the moment of of the hour of prayer. And as they're going into the temple, they go through by what the Bible identifies as the beautiful gate. And they're going through by the beautiful gate. You know the story. There's a man there, and the Bible says he has been lame his whole life. He's a cripple. Now, we don't see that here in the U.S. a lot, but when I was a kid in Brazil and I grew up in South America... I saw beggars all the time. You get off the bus, and there's a group of beggars there. And the worse they can make themselves look, the more money they believed you would give them. And so they would pick their sores open and expose those, and flies would land on them. And you walk by, you'd almost get sick. And and out of pity, you'd give them money. But let me tell you what happens. As a a kid growing up seeing that, you eventually become immune to it. And I can imagine this man sitting there who had been lame for life, sitting by that beautiful gate, people coming in and out of the place of worship, just ignoring him. But somehow he grabs the attention of, of John and, and Simon Peter are going through the gate, and he asks for alms. And Peter has that classic line, silver and gold have I none, but rise and walk. And if you take a look at the text in, in Acts chapter 3, And he took him by the right hand, verse 7, and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong, verse 8. And keeping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And notice, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? What's Peter doing? Don't look at me. He's pointing people to who? To Jesus. He's pointing people to Jesus. And if you take a look at the screen, you'll see then Acts 4, verses 8 through 12. Peter's preaching in Acts in Acts uh, in Acts, let uh, me get my, my scriptures right. Acts 4, 1 through 7. He's he's preaching about the power of the resurrection of Jesus. And he annoys the religious elite. Makes them angry. And so they arrest them. And they place them finally in, the, in a kangaroo court. And they place uh, the two guys there. and And notice after they say to them or ask them, By what power or by whose name do you have authority to preach what you're preaching? And notice what Simon says. Notice verse 8. This is a huge verse. And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you see that? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, He is filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit enables him to stand in the midst of all kinds of stuff. And he said, rulers and elders of the people, we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel. Notice he said, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. The Holy Spirit filling Simon, filling Simon Peter, who does he point to? To Jesus. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. And notice, salvation is found, verse 12, in no other or no one else. For there is no other name under heaven or given by men by which we must be saved. How can we point people to Jesus, you ask? In this hostile, politically correct, antagonistic, difficult world that we live in. Yeah, I know there's a lot of people that are putting their hopes in President Trump. You might as well just give it up, people. It's not gonna happen. It's just not. He's not our savior. He is not our salvation. God is. We need to get our eyes off a man and get it on and never mind. I'm not gonna get I've gone further into politics than I want. He's not gonna be our savior for Christians and for Christianity. He's not Now he can be a vessel That God might use If God can use me And he can use a jackass He can use anybody I included myself in that Okay So don't get too upset The only The only way People are going to be Pointed to Jesus Through you Is through the power Presence, and the person of the Holy Spirit working in you. He enables you to reflect Jesus by your life, to share Jesus with your mouth. This glorious gospel that, that has the power for salvation. Number three, he emboldens my witness. Notice the last part. Just the word witness. Witness. That word witnesses, if you notice, is plural. What that simply means is he's speaking to his disciples. Everyone here, everyone present, no one left out, everyone here is to be my witness. And what we've done in the church today, we've hired the preacher and we've hired pastoral staff we think they're the ones that should be the witnesses i hate to tell you but the bible says that we are to equip the witnesses that we're not to do it ourselves <laughs> lets me off the hook no it doesn't because i'm a disciple as well and as a disciple i have been called by him to be a witness it's for all of us no, no matter how insignificant or unimportant or how small your world may be God has given you these incredible relationships in your day-to-day life as you live out your life for Jesus that are intentionally designed by him for you to be a witness of the gospel of Jesus. And his spirit is welling up inside of you, demanding that you witness for Christ. You'll be my witnesses. But notice the word witness in the original Greek is also The word martyr. The word witness and the word martyr became synonymous words. For in the day of the New Testament church in the book of Acts, when you were a witness, you would become and will become a martyr. Because if you witness the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will die for your faith. You would die for your faith. Are you a witness? Yeah. You're a martyr. The path you're on, the journey that you're taking, leads to a cross. It leads to a death. It doesn't lead to this health, wealth, prosperity, abundant, everything for me life. It leads to a cross. It leads to death. You will become a martyr. Acts chapter 5, verse 1 through 28 is an incredible passage. You might want to turn there real quick, and this is our last one. A lot of incredible things were happening in the church that Jesus was building through the testimony of the disciples, signs and wonders, and the religious elite get a little bit jealous because thousands upon thousands of people are coming to faith in Jesus. Guess what? They're leaving their church and going to the New Testament church. You know That makes pastors and preachers angry. I've been a part of this thing for 39 years. You leave my church, go to your church, it it just kind of creates a jealousy thing. And because of that, they arrested them in Acts 5. And they throw them in prison, and lock the door. Because it's late at night, they don't have the the kangaroo court, they're going to wait and have it a little bit later on. And so they wait till morning. And guess what happens? An angel appears in, in Acts chapter 5 into the prison cell where they are. And he tells them to go and he releases them from prison. And, and as they are leaving the prison, guess what happens? God speaks and he says, Guys, I want you to go back to the very place you were preaching in the morning. Go back to that place you were arrested in the morning and preach again. How'd you like to be told that? Hey, God, I just got arrested. You know, you want to go do that again? Yeah, go do it again. The next morning, they go into the very same place where they were arrested and they begin preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus inside the temple courts. The morning finally. Gets around, and the, the court is convened, and they summon for the prisoners. But guess what? Somebody comes back and said, I don't understand. The prisoners aren't there. The doors are locked as we left them, but the prisoners are gone. We don't understand it. And while they're sitting there trying to figure it out, somebody comes by and said, hey, I know what's, I, I know where they are. Yeah, you do? Yeah. They're, they're where they got arrested last night, and they're preaching the gospel where you arrested them. They send somebody, and they arrest them back and bring them into the kangaroo court. And if you take a look at, at, at chapter 5, there's some interesting things that happen. And, and they tell them, you have to stop preaching the gospel. you got to stop it. All of Jerusalem is being filled with the gospel. Can you imagine that? All of Jerusalem is being filled. With, how would you like to say that about it? Wichita? All of Wichita is being filled with the gospel. you got to stop. This is This is too much. Gamaliel steps up. They're so angry at, at these apostles, they want to kill them. But there's one in the group that always has a point of reason. He said, you know guys, if this is not of God, then we don't have to worry about it. But it's, if it's of God, then we're fighting God and we're fighting a losing fight. And they finally agree to let them go. But notice what happens. Then... In verse five, verse forty, verse forty. Well, let's let's go to the verse verse twenty nine. But Peter and the apostles we must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from who, from whom you killed by the hanging him on a tree and exalted him at the right hand of the leader of the Savior and gave him repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. Verse thirty-two. And we are witnesses to these things. Notice this. And we are witnesses to we are witnesses to these things. And so is who the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. And that's when Gam- Gamaliel comes in and. and Brings reason to it all. And in Acts 5, verse 40, and when they had been released, they agreed to release them. Notice, notice, this, this is incredible. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. <laughs> This, notice And every day Every day from then on Every day They went back to the very place They had been arrested and beaten They went back to the temple And from house to house They did not cease from teaching and preaching That Christ is Jesus They didn't worry about persecution They didn't worry about beating They didn't worry about threats It didn't phase them at all Why? Here's my whole argument for the whole the whole setup is this. The person, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit wells up within me and you as disciples. How can we keep silent? And yet we are. We're silent. Except for one she doesn't bother me at all we're silent why are we silent if the person now becomes the presence that gives us power that no matter how hostile how negative how pathetic how indifferent how angry how, whatever we're not afraid we can't keep silent and yet we are if we are true disciples we have been endowed with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit why then are we silent
1: Let's pray. Thank